Welcome to episode 48 of the One Last Sketch podcast, a show dedicated to science fiction and fantasy and the relationship of imaginative fiction to the rest of the world. I'm Michael. I'm Marie. And I'm Corey. And today is our 2022 end of year spectacular. Which means we're just going to talk about things that we, art that we experienced this year that we liked. Doesn't have to have been made in this year. We just had to have read, watched, experienced it in some way this year. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys out there. If you were looking for a podcast that was like temporally relevant to new media that you could possibly consume, this is not it. (laughs) I've got a couple. Some of them will be new, but no guarantees. I have a few categories lined up. Books, number one. Number two, comics. Number three, film and television. Number four, games. Board games, video games, any kind of games. And the last category is just a catch-all other. We are going to do this by going in name order through each of the categories. And we'll list about three things. Doesn't mean it's a specific piece of media. It just has to be three things that we liked so starting with books 2022 Corey, how'd your year go um pretty good i it's funny because i can't remember too many of the books i read just because so many apparently but uh some of the ones that stand out i reread blood meridian by cormac mccarthy which is phenomenal and dark and amazing and horrifying all at once um, Black Abacus by Ian Kateku, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, it's a poetry collection, and it's hard to describe what makes a poetry collection good, but this one's really, really good. Um, I finally started listening to audiobooks while I'm doing, like, hobby projects and stuff, and I've been making my way through to Carrie Pratchett and Discworld on audio, which is a great way to go through them, makes the narrators make them even funnier. And the big one that stands out is Parable of the Sower, um, which I'm not going to get into too much because I'm still trying to get you two to read it, but it's become one of my new favorite books, and my reaction when I finished it was honestly that I wished I'd read it 10 years earlier. And feel free to chime in anytime someone mentions something that we've experienced. In this case, I read Blood Meridian years ago. I wrote a little article about it on my blog way back when, but I haven't reread it, and I should get around to that. Parable of the Sower, I actually haven't read any Octavia Butler yet, but I need to really rectify that. I think that one's on our like docket for possible 2023 podcast material. Um, I think that's, that might be what's happening with that one, so it makes sense. It makes sense for us to not talk about things that we might be podcasting on yeah i'm trying to browbeat you guys into reading it and it just so happens that when we all read the same book we podcast on it so yeah um i mean i've obviously read nearly all of discworld so it has been nice that cory has been reading them via audiobook because then when i go into the uh, craft area to also do some things um i hear bits of it and i remember it and it's great (laughs) 
So yeah, it's just still yeah. super funny, guys. Uh, it, it actually hasn't aged as badly as I thought it might, but it's actually good. It's great. What's well, that dry read... British humor, right? Like it's really hard to go wrong with just that dry sarcasm. <laughs> and of your three, which one's your top? Um, certain books, mm. a parable of the sower, mm. absolutely. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> like I said, it's a new potential favorite book. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Is it me next then, or? Yep, that's how we're doing. Marie, this. you're up next. All right. Um, well, I'm going to say a brief thing about each thing after I list it immediately because I think that makes more sense. Um, so I did read lots of books this year, actually, which is nice because. After studying for a long time and not really reading, it's nice to, like, do that as a thing. Um, so one of the books I read this year uh, was a book called Rules for Visiting, which is a book my mother got me, like, a long time ago as a Christmas present. And it's... it is not high literature. It is not even unpredictable. But I... I don't know. I was just very touched by it. I made Corey read it. I th- I said, yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, it's like... There's just something about the way it treats relationships. I mean, it made me phone up some friends and stuff I hadn't talked to in a long while. It was just a very pleasant, warm experience with, like, enough pathos in it to be, like, a good catch. It's it's just a fiction. It's not a science fiction or a fantasy, so it's an unusual thing for me to read that. But it was just good. I appreciated it. Yeah, it nothing wrong with reading a book that's just good or that you mm-hmm. just enjoy or, like... Books can speak to you in different ways at different times. Yeah, it's so. basically about a possibly autistic gardener for a like university and who's trying to figure out um, social relationships with past friends, having never talked with them much or traveled much, and then trees are interspersed throughout this. Yeah, that's that book. Um, another book I read, which was actually a autobiography is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which is really good. I mean, I've always liked Trevor Noah's um, comedy in general, and to read stories about him growing up in South Africa, um, yeah, it's obviously quite dark in a lot of portions of it because um, apartheid (laughs) and uh, being half white, half black, uh, and... Yeah, but he tells some really compelling stories, and it's also still quite funny a lot of the time. I think it was a, not that many autobiographies by a famous people that I would think would be like, really that good? But this was actually really good, because he's quite a reflective person. Um, so I do recommend that one. And then another book that I read, which I did choose by its cover, is Piranesi by, um, oh, who's that by? Uh, it's on the top. Susanna Clark. There we go, Susanna Clark, which is possibly taking place in the platonic realm of forms it's really good it's that this is a fantasy it's it's ah, oh my goodness it's just really really good it's really well executed it's cute um i would say not surprising or unpredictable in any particular way but just really well executed and very different and fun and yeah i picked that up and finished it within three days because it was that great you've read that one too i think mike Yes. Mm-hmm. Susanna Clark's first book was Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is very long, like 700-something pages, very small type, lots of footnotes. Piranesi is not that. It is short, very to the point, 
I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say it's a light read per se, but no, a quick one for sure. Definitely of of these three, I would say that's probably the best of those three um, that I've that I've read. And I picked these ones because I remembered reading them. Like Corey, uh, neither of us wrote down, but I think you did. So your list will probably be reflecting what you actually thought was really good. <laughs> Yeah, this year I did something a bit different. I took the revolutionary step of getting a slip of paper, and every time I finished a book, I wrote the title and the author, which I don't know why I didn't do this before, because as Corey and Marie have said, you just kind of forget things if you're a big reader over the course of the year. So I look back at this list, and I'm also like, wait, I read that? Uh, as of today, the winter solstice of 2022, I read 43 books this year. I'm going to... Do you want a medal? I, <laughs> no. For rookie numbers <laughs> that like that? Just, Are you kidding? <laughs> that is just a data point. Uh, so I'm going to go by groupings by author instead of by book. Because mm. I think what really stood out for me this year in reading habits was I would just pick up an author... So at the beginning of the year, I decided I read a few things by Charles R. Saunders, who is a Canadian fantasy author who died in 2020, and I hadn't read nearly enough by him, so I decided I'm going to read all of his books, and I ordered a bunch, and then this year was also the year that a bunch of his stuff went completely out of print and disappeared from the internet, which sucks, because he is very important, I think, to Canadian fantasy of just being... A uh, black author in Nova Scotia who wrote Sword and Sorcery at a time when there wasn't much of that going on in the 70s and 80s. And his major series was Amaro, which is four books. Uh, it starts off as a very standard, it's got to take on Conan, Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and then through the course of the series becomes something very different. So the first three books came out in the 80s. He wrote the fourth one, and then the publisher just said, nah, these didn't sell well enough. We're not going to publish that. And he sat on it, and it wasn't until this decade. This, <laughs> uh, I don't remember the exact year right off my head, but it wasn't until the 2000s that he actually went ahead and self-published that last book, which is not the book that I expected it to be. As I said, the first ones are very standard sword and sorcery, and by the end, it's something very different and thought-provoking in a way I totally didn't expect from the start of the series. And then his other series is just two books called Desuye, about this female warrior who goes wandering through the land, and those stories are just really... Uh, the first book is a bunch of short stories. The second one's a novel, but they're just also really thoughtful in a way that that genre is not really known for. And like I said, unfortunately, you can't get these things <laughs> anymore, but I'm glad that I picked them up when I did. I hope people are going to champion this stuff and get it published. The other author that I really ooh, got into ooh, this can, year... Can, can I guess? Because I have a feeling, actually. Is the Black Company going to be on here? No, it's going to be no. Stanislaw Lamb. Uh, fine. No, you're right. I did finish The Black Company mm -hmm. this year. It's a great series. Love it. Uh, it's still not quite Status Suave Lem. <laughs> so if you want to know more about Status Suave Lem, listen to our last episode about the Siberiad, where I talk quite a bit about that. I read The Invincible, Tales of Pricks the Pilots, 
the Siberiad and the Star Diaries. I started reading the investigation not too long ago. All of these are great. What am I going to say that anybody else hasn't already said about Status Quo Lab? Great author, kind of follows non-standard narrative structures for what we're used to in the field and kind of shows you what science fiction can really do. And the last author on my top three picks, Guy Gabriel Kay, came out mm-hmm. with a new book, the latest book, All the Seas of the World. I also read A Brightness Long Ago this year, which I liked it, but I thought he was kind of flagging. And then All the Seas of the World came out. I read that. I'm like, oh, he's back on his horse. This is excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another historical fantasy. It's kind of tied to his last two other books taking place in the Renaissance in the Mediterranean. It's just this one. The other two really felt like reflections on his past work, and this one kind of tears away and tries something different. And it kind of hits emotional notes that Gary O.K. is very good at, but sometimes doesn't quite achieve, and he hits them all here. Yeah, and I was thinking of like a possible future podcast book for us being Isabel, which I think I did read this year. Although it could have been last year. It's hard to say. I just remembered actually two more I read this year that are worth mentioning. Um, Ancillary Sword and Ancillary Mercy, which are the second and third, although maybe not in that order, parts of the Ancillary Trilogy by Anne Leckie. And those are actually really good. Mm -hmm. So if anybody wants just like a good space opera sci-fi, like it's definitely a trilogy worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah, and I will bring this up. I know that Corey read the three books Body Problem by Sishin Liu and didn't like it. I and I also di- did not like that first book. Don't we, have, don't we have a dishonorable mentions category coming up? <laughs> but this isn't a dishonorable mention. Ah. A friend convinced me to read the next two books in that series. And they are much better. Okay, so maybe I'll go back and give them a try. But my, my problem with the three body problem is that it's quote unquote hard science fiction And it falls into the same trap that I find a lot of hard science fiction falls into in that the author is such a nerd for science that that the whole book is them going, oh, look how cool science is. And they ignore the storytelling or the story suffers because they're not focusing on it. Like not to say you can't write a, a scientifically accurate story in a good way, but you need to focus on narrative and that book just doesn't. So what you're saying is that I might be okay because I'm sort of okay with Asimov. But you on the might, other hand but... on the other hand, Kim Stanley Robinson's Red Mars defeated me, so Ugh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My issue with the three body problem is it's uh, kind of structured as a standard techno thriller and like Corey says, is very focused on the science with very stock characters mm. and a pretty stock plot. The next two books, The Dark Forest and Death's End, is a billions-year-spanning saga over the future history of the human race at a scale that I rarely have seen in Western science fiction. I don't think Asimov even tried anything to that scale. Uh, And he did try. He did try with Foundation to kind of go to those lengths, but... Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the next two books are just very impressive in what they try to do, and I was taken away by their ambition, and the storytelling is far better. So I will put that down on the table. Not the best things I read this year, but I was super impressed by it. And just to throw in for another 
something that I just really enjoyed. There's a book by Lloyd Alexander that I don't think anybody has remembered called The Remarkable Journey of Prince Jen, which takes place in a Tang Dynasty China analog. And it's just Lloyd Alexander being Lloyd Alexander and writing a really great story in a very short amount of time. I don't know why it's fallen off the radar of a bunch of people, but hmm. I had a really great time with that book. Books are that brings great. us to films and TV, <laughs> starting with you, Corey. So I'm going to start with my big one right off the bat. Um, Final Space, the TV show. I started it because I was bored. Um, I was scrolling Netflix. I'm like, oh, I've heard about this. And I started it, and the first episode makes you think, oh, this is going to be just like a typical sci-fi comedy with an overgrown man-child protagonist. And by the end of the three seasons, the emotional depth the show goes to hurt me in ways I was not expecting, and that I was, for, I will forever be grateful for it, too, for hurting me. The gravest pain of all comes from the fact that season three ends on a cliffhanger because the show was prematurely canceled for tax reasons and a corporate merger. Corporate bastards. But it's still worth watching those three seasons, even with the cliffhanger. Like, just the character interactions, the way, like I, get, like I said, the emotional depth, just the sheer amount of heart it has. It is absolutely brilliant. And I will be hoping and praying in whatever way I can for another season at some point. Yeah, I stopped at right at the beginning of season three because I knew there was a cliffhanger coming up. And I'm like, things are kind of okay for these characters right now. I can't take it. I can't take it. So I just stopped there. It is great. Yeah, and then moving into <laughs> movies, um, probably the two that most stood out for me were Dog Soldiers, which is the best kind of horror movie. Like, I, I find that there are two ingredients that actually make horror good, and it has both of them. The first is that you've got actual human characters that you care about. And the second is that the characters do everything right and still lose. Sorry, massive spoiler. But it, it's horror in the vein of Alien, where you have intelligent, capable characters who are just facing something they can't deal with. And it's so much freakier because of that. And then the next kind of big movie would be The Northman. By the same director as The Witch, which we've raved about before. Um, I don't know if I'd say... I, I think I would argue The Witch is a little better, but The Northman was certainly really well done. Uh, it's typical vein in that of, of the director in that it's kind of written for the audience that was alive at the time it's set. So there's all these things that the characters just take for granted about fate and fortune and just things being preordained that really plays into the life they live and the worldview they have. And then I think I realized about halfway through the movie that it's kind of Hamlet. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's based on the, the legend that begets Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's um like somehow it's a much bloodier, more violent take on Hamlet than Hamlet even. Yeah, and The Northman, I really enjoyed. I agree. I think The Witch is like a stronger film, maybe just because we're more familiar with the sensibilities. Um my only complaints about it is that people are too beautiful looking for being in that time period, or particularly the the female characters. I find I'm like no one looks like that. It's then. Like you have all your teeth; they're all straight; they're all white. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's um somebody's had work done, and it's just uh, it's fine. There, there's like this mixed thing in Hollywood where it's you can't age and be cast in films, but also then it, I guess this weird thing where it's like, but she's your mother and um looks same age as you anyway um and then it does the thing now worse that serious films do where there's always a constant droning noise 
uh, that's like the serious film soundtrack. And I kind of wish that just wasn't the aesthetic of our current film time. But otherwise, it's fine. I don't remember the droning. I do remember there's one scene where there's a group of slaves playing a game that would basically, I think it would be like hurling or lacrosse, yeah. kind of that, that kind of style of game where wanton and gratuitous bloodshed is just an expected part of the sport. So they're just beating the crap out of each other with sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was really good. It's oh, a- it's, it's a phenomenal movie for sure. Mm-hmm. That's not going to surprise anyone that I had the Northmen on my list. Mm-hmm. That was one where, from the opening scene, I was just like, yeah, I'm in for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm ready for this. As an amazing opening scene and just kind of builds up on its cinematography from there. It's very much your kind of movie. If you saw it the past year and it wasn't on your list, I would have been surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of yelling. I do love that when people are like, I'll meet you at the gates of hell, they just mean a literal place that exists, <laughs> and then they meet up there. <laughs> There's one part, because all the, char- the main character's a Viking, and the main antagonist is a Viking, but there- there's slaves from various ethnic groups, and one of them is a Christian, and somebody says at one point, it's like, oh, don't worry about the Christians, their god is a corpse nailed to a tree. <laughs> no, they were worried about that because of what happened. They, oh right! They wondered if it was like a Christian thing because right, that's right. Like, they, that, sorry, it's a weird thing that they're gods of corpse. Yeah, they, they, they were basically accusing the Christian of a, like of performing witchcraft, basically. Mm-hmm. Right, it just it, it's that interesting take on like something mm-hmm. that we take for granted as understanding. You know, seeing characters still kind of approach it in a way where it is foreign, it is strange, it is mm-hmm. like magical and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the main character is given a choice at one point where a typical movie hero would go one way and in this film he just gung-ho goes the opposite direction oh there is so much murder (laughs) oh wait those are all of yours weren't they those were all of mine we're waiting on me now (laughs) i mean i've got other movies i enjoyed that i could throw out quickly like the day shift was just a fun well-made action movie and bullet train was quite funny yeah so um let me see here let me go go then because i have some things all right so i'm putting on the list prey um also on my list. Yeah, yeah. So we also watched Predator, but then we watched Prey, and Prey was just amazing. Such good set design, such good, like, casting. I love how, like, Aboriginal peoples have been like, we finally have a film that's, like, not shitty representation, guys. Again, interesting <laughs> human characters, right? Yeah, uh, the fact that it was also released in um, a Comanche language, and... Uh, like as a dub mm-hmm. and that oh yeah and also yeah it's just finally solved the predator adaptation problem not that i've seen any of the other predator movies but you know you just put the predator somewhere and then people have to deal with it and that's it that's the only plot you need so but in this one it maintains the true narrative which is that white people are the greatest fear and monster of them all so controversial <laughs> opinion um mm-hmm. i do think there's actually room to argue I'm not saying it is, but I think there's room to argue that Prey is the best Predator movie. It's basically mm-hmm. Prey and the original, and it's one of those two. Mm-hmm. Do you think Prey might be a better movie? But it might just be that I'm not like an 80s viewer, so now I like have a different sort of aesthetic preference, so I'm more used to like what Prey is delivering. One thing I do like about the original Predator, it's blessedly short. Like, it was an action movie at a time when action movies could actually have brevity. They didn't need to be, like, 10-hour monstrosities with fight mm-hmm. scenes that took forever. Mm-hmm. Now, you can draw some 
comparisons to Mad Max Fury Road. And I think it was another one where it's a sequel thing that people were really skeptical about and that just nailed the formula right out the gate and never lets go. It also has like a female lead that's important. So like it's it's great on multiple levels. You mentioned Day Shift. I'd agree. That's a fun vampire movie, but it's not really the top on my list. Um, I watched for the first time Minority Report uh, because I was sick with COVID and I read Minority Report and then I watched Minority Report on the same day because that's the kind of thing you do when you're sick. <laughs> and um, yeah, good movie. Except for the last like five minutes where it gets all like Hollywood, meh, whatever. But I can, I'm like, huh, yeah, no, this one's all right. I would say that's uh, the case. Yeah, but Bullet Train also, I would say, was, was pretty good. Yeah, I'm listing more in this one because I don't really have much in the in the comics sec- section. Oh, so I'm going to... Barton Fink. Yeah, that's on here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Barton Fink we watched. It's great. Um, oh, what's that? The guy that played the um, neighbor? What's his... John Goodman? Yes. Oh, my God. He was so good in that. As uh, I don't know if you've seen that one at all, Michael. That's a nope. that's a Coen Brothers movie, one of their earlier ones. And oh, speaking of like really good sound design, does that ever have an amazing sound design? And just like everything is meticulous um, in its execution um, of the of the filming and the script, and it's a good story. I will say no further. It is worth not spoiling for people to watch. See, I'm gonna. Almost disagree. Like, it, it is a good movie. Mm-hmm. I do like the Coen brothers, but I just, I found the main character kind of annoying. You're supposed to hate him. Well, no, I, I know. I realized that a big part of the story, okay, minor spoiler, a big part of the story is him kind of being destroyed on a metaphorical level, but I, just, I still found him really grating. You're supposed to. Yeah, I know. They can achieve their goal in such a way, I mean, you can achieve the goal of making the character unsympathetic, but I can still be annoyed by an unsympathetic character. These are not mutually exclusive yeah. things. Yeah, fair enough. You don't want to spend time with him. Um, I don't think Corey liked it as much as I did, but I did enjoy the new color out of space. It was a good time. I think we saw a return of Nicolas Cage actually being quite good in a movie. Uh, that's a strong choice of words. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no, I think those were good choices he made. I mean, he's always making choices, but I think it fit this time. And also, again, good cinematography. And it was just kind of nice to see, like, a competently executed, like, cosmic horror film. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think I would argue that, yes, it is a competently made film. It's not but, the best movie ever made, mm-hmm. but it, was, it wasn't, you know, a waste of time to watch either. Yeah. And I don't know if you said it, but, like, The Dead Don't Die... That's a good movie. Oh! That's very funny. That was hilarious. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot that, that one. That has What's-His-Face Adam Driver in it, and it's very, very funny. Yes. Um, oh, and Bill Murray. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember we finished that one, and I'm like, how is this not the new Shaun of the Dead? And I think yeah. the zombie thing had just moved on a little too far for it to be. I think it's um quite a bit more cerebral. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it's a very particular kind of humor, so unless... It's very much an art house film, I think. Yeah, it's, so that might be why. It's yeah. If you don't, if I think if you don't get it, you just don't get it, and it seems like a boring movie. But it's very funny. Tilda Swinton's also great in it as a as an odd person, you could say. <laughs> Tilda Swinton just Tilda Swinton's it up, and she's amazing because of it. Yep. All right, I'm finally done talking about movies. <laughs>
Well, you guys knocked off a few from my list, but I am going to bring up another great performance by Nicolas Cage. It's a movie called Pig, which is about Nicolas Cage playing a guy who's in the forest with his truffle pig, and somebody kidnaps his truffle pig, and that's the rest of the movie. It is not (laughs) what I expect it to be. It is not a roaring, bloody revenge ride, but I also don't want to spoil how uniquely odd and human this movie is and this is an example of a genuinely good Nicolas Cage performance which you might not expect from a movie called Pig he's having a good time recently maybe maybe well he might finally be out of debt so we can actually make good movies again (laughs) at the beginning of the year I watched Freaks and Geeks on CBC Gem of all places that was carrying this after having it recommended to me multiple times at work. There was only one season of this. It's about a boy and his sister going to high school in 1980. It's just a very good comedy drama show from that period. It was meant to be a throwback, but the characters are just really well developed. And I don't think we really needed more than one season of it. Just a good example of good TV writing. Another TV show I watched, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. That was fun. I'm nearly, I paused on, I have three episodes to go. Yes. Yeah, so this is from the same people who made Kill the Kill. Yes. It has a weird Polish connection. (laughs) (laughs) It is based on the video game Cyberpunk 2077, which was developed by a Polish studio. And there are a lot of Polish staff in the credits of this show. As I said to Marie before, I just thought, well, that's that's tolerable William Gibson fanfic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I maybe if I'd played the game, because I, I, my understanding is the show's a prequel. So maybe if I'd played the game and knew kind of like the Easter eggs and stuff, I would have gotten more out of it. But as it was, I found it was just like, it was fine. It was just a typical action sci-fi show. Franz Ferdinand showed up again. I was like, I haven't heard this band in a long time. Yeah. It has great music, yep, good times. great visuals, and I was just like, hey, we have a science fiction cyberpunk thing about lower class people again, which is, you know, what cyberpunk it's should be, be about. Yeah. So that's that's not groundbreaker or anything, but I had a good time. It's textbook cyberpunk done well. Mm-hmm. And that's all it needed to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. And just going back to honorable mentions for films, I did finally get around to seeing The Woman King. Which kind of relates back to Charles R. O. Saunders' Dusuyu, because, or Dusuye, because Dusuye is culturally based on the Dahomey, and this movie is about the female warriors who were in the all-woman army of the kingdom of Dahomey. It's very much like a '90s historical epic just made now. Again, nothing ground-shaking besides its setting, which is just really cool to see that setting represented on film with a big budget. We just don't see that many Hollywood movies that are set in historical Africa. So I just remembered another one, actually. T- uh, as far as TV shows go, season three of Love, Death, and Robots came out this year. Oh, yeah, that was good. That had some really fun ones in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stronger season than season two. I think so, yeah. yeah. And season two, season two is pretty strong, but I think season three had some... Like, I can only think of one episode that I would call, like, on the weaker side. And even then, that was at least fun. Yeah. Sorry, I can think of two, actually. But, again, they were still fun. They were still finely made. Um, the good episodes are really good. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, mm-hmm. I, I won't go down that rabbit hole because I could. Yeah, they're all short stories, so I could talk about them all, but I won't. It's on Netflix. Just go watch it. It's yeah. And that brings us into comics, which I didn't pull you guys beforehand about how many comics you actually <laughs> read this year. But Corey, did you read any comics? A few. I'm pretty sure it was this year I went through Battle Angel Alita, which was pretty fun. Um, yes. The ones that really stand out, Daybreak by Brian Ralph. Um, I actually watched the show on Netflix and then I did some research and found out it was based on a comic, but apparently, like, it, the show is not great. It lifts literally nothing from the comic except the title. But the comic is first person. So, it, like, all the panels are actually being viewed from the main character's perspective. And the protagonist never actually speaks. So it's a first person, or sorry, they do speak, but you never get their dialogue. You always just get other characters reacting to what they've said. And it's a very interesting way to actually write a comic and an interesting take on it. Um, The other big one, which again, I found after watching the Netflix show, is Trece, which is a Filipino comic translated into English. And on the one hand, it's a story that we've seen a million times, you know, paranormal investigator, connections to magical underworld, blah, blah, blah. But just seeing it written in a different cultural context with different myths, with different monsters, changes the story enough that it makes it really engaging just because those differences, you don't know what you're looking at, so everything's new again. Didn't you also read Snowpiercer this year? Or was that last year? I think that was last year. Oh, okay. I mean, Snowpiercer was fun. Mm-hmm. We'll say that. But, uh, you know, Trace, I would definitely give a recommend to. Daybreak is... Daybreak's worth reading just because of the novel, or just because of how interesting the approach is. But uh, Trace is the one that I, I haven't finished yet because I'm still waiting on the next few issues. But mm-hmm. definitely worth checking out. I mean, on my list are going to be some things that I think are on your list, which is things that I did read include a Hanbarian and um, the Tigress Queen. Uh, and Hanbarian, I don't yep. know. I still have mixed feelings about Hanbarian. What is uh, Hanbarian? That's a webcomic. Oh. Um, and Tigress Queen, though, I think is really good. It is regrettably on hiatus because the hair. <laughs> I want more of those characters. And I also, it would it, just like Rules for Visiting, it'd be very soothing to read a story that I know what's going to happen <laughs> and just have it all happen. Um, but I will also... Uh, I have continued to read the same webcomic that I've been reading since 2006, which is The Order of the Stick, which is an excellent webcomic, very long-running. Um, I don't know, he might finish in the next five years? He, it's it's slow going these days, but I have the first... How many books are there right there? Six? Uh, you, six. It goes up Seven. To, so technically eight. It goes up to volume six, but there's also volume zero, which is like the prequel, yeah. and then volume negative one, which is like the real prequel. Yeah, and so I have those, and then what he's currently writing might be the very end, um, which is online, which is obviously not collected into a volume yet. Um, but he's getting there. Uh, he's probably going to be, and he's definitely going to get one more compilation, probably two. Yeah, he's, um... Just the way the story's going, I can see there being two more. Rick Berlou continues to deliver the exact same quality and of drawing and narrative, and if you like Dungeons & Dragons, it's great to read. It's very funny how it's gone from 3.5 
Oh, no, it's still 3.5. I, I actually disagree with both of those statements. The art has improved immensely since the beginning. That's kind of a running joke at this point. Oh, yeah, no, that's... And what... his storytelling has actually improved substantially, too. He, yeah, by same quality, I meant I enjoyed it at the beginning, and I still enjoyed it. I just enjoyed it a lot, so it hasn't gotten yes. worse in any way at all. And, yeah, you can want, read that for free on giantintheplayground.com. Giantitp.com. Yeah. What's nice about it is that, like, I used to really play Dungeons & Dragons a lot, and then there was a time where I wasn't. I was just reading this. And now I play Dungeons & Dragons a lot again, so it's sort of nice to come full circle with that. All right. I am done. That Those are my comics. So for my comics, uh, our local library, one day Chainsaw Man Volumes 1 to 11 showed up in the manga section. So I just borrowed them all one day and went through it extremely quickly. So this comic is about a guy who's really dumb who can turn into a chainsaw. Or like a demon dude with a bunch of chainsaws that come out of him. And he fights other demons and there's lots of blood. And it starts out being really stupid and then somehow starts gaining emotional momentum through the course of these 11 volumes to its conclusion where it actually has some really poignant character moments that I definitely did not expect. Just so you know, volume one is not an indicator of what the rest of the series okay, will so, be like. So it does that typical anime manga thing where it starts out and you think it's just going to be something light and stupid and by the end of it you're like, oh my god, how did they do that? Yes, like Battle Angel Alita. Uh, Marie already brought up some of the web comics I've been reading, so she said Marie, you said you're mixed on Honbarian. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit more all for it. Mm-hmm. It's just a very Lloyd Alexander style of fantasy setting that I like to sink into. The um, method of delivery, the all the like uh, eternal scrolling format. Ah, uh, you don't like the webtoon format. No, I think I yeah. don't like that. Incidentally, could you guys send me the links for these? Because I'm curious now. Yeah, yeah, Michael will do that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, like the story's cute, the character designs are cute. Like, I can't really say that there's anything I dislike about it. And there's still a slight mystery on, like, possible specifics of what's going to happen. So that's nice. Yeah. Uh, the other two are also in webtoon format. From a Knight to a Lady, which is about a woman who was a knight in an army, got betrayed and killed, and then wakes up in the body of a noble woman who is on the opposite side of this conflict. It has to suddenly get used to courtly life, which she has no idea how to deal with. And the remarried empress, I'm just going to bring up, because that the costumes in the remarried empress are gorgeous, and it's also nice to see a story about older people who are going through divorces and having to get remarried. Hmm etc etc a lot of web comics tend to be still about younger people especially when it's in fantasy settings so that's just a nice one for if you want a bit more a bit more of a mature character story and that brings us to games Corey. so i maybe play maybe play a video game once every six months to a year possibly usually longer um so the only ones that really stand out is I think I replayed Shovel Knight this year, and then I finally got to Batman Arkham Asylum, which was a lot of fun. I, I'm not a completionist, so I just did the main story. I didn't do like the million side quests and collectibles because I've never understood the logic behind that. But the actual gameplay was fun. It was 
you got to be Batman, you got to be like a crazy badass Bat Ninja. Did what it said on the tin, I enjoyed it. <laughs> One day I will play Horizon Zero Dawn like I want to. <laughs> I haven't played any video games this year. I I'm busy. I work. This category does include board games, role-playing games this oh, year. Do you have anything on mind? Hmm. I have no board games for this year. I don't think we so. got any new board games in, necessarily. Like, we played a lot of Azul, but we've played that before. Yeah. I mean, we're playing d and I'm still playing Warhammer. I guess, yes. We are playing a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, but that's not specifically a board game. That would be more like just general tabletop. Well, games, yeah. I mean, yeah. let's put it this way. We're both running games, mm-hmm. and we're both playing in another game. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. three games we're involved in. Mm-hmm. Mine's admittedly been on hiatus for the last two months because I've had, like, no free time to work on it. Mm. But probably going to get it going again in January. It doesn't help that you have two doctors in amongst your players. Like, we're terrible to coordinate. Well, <laughs> in, anyway. in this case, it was the issue wasn't coordinating you guys. The issue was just I didn't have free weekends. Mm-hmm. And three doctors. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not including the veterinarian. How very speciesist of you. Anyway, lots of people talk about Dungeons & Dragons, so we can move on from that. <laughs> so... Good Old Games has a winter sale. Last year, I went and bought a bunch of classic games I hadn't played before for that. And I'm probably going to be buying Arkham Asylum for this winter sale, which just started. So I will, I will be getting on that soon. Sorry, I just remembered. But, I did actually play another game this year. Guacamelee. Oh, yeah, you love that. That was a lot of fun. It's it's a Metroidvania game with like really, it's just a really zany world and your character's a luchador. And it just, it's like, it's set in Mexico, in air quotes, but like fantasy video game Mexico. (laughs) And it just, the guys who made it clearly love video games because there's just a ton of Easter eggs and in-jokes and references, like, while also subverting them. Like, the main character's girlfriend gets kidnapped, but instead of being a useless princess, she's working on a master's thesis at the time and is really pissed off about being kidnapped because it interferes with school. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fun game. I, w- I would recommend it. So I did end up playing just a lot of games in 2022 because of how many I bought at that GOG winter sale. So I'll just pick out three. Probably my top game that I played through all the way was Jade Empire, which is a Bioware RPG that takes place in an East Asian setting. And instead of your character getting new weapons and upgrades... Your character learns different styles of martial arts that you can chain together. The story is quite good, and I had a good time. Right now, I haven't finished it, but I could already tell it's a great game. Uh, it's Legend of the Heroes, Trails in the Sky, which is a Japanese role-playing game that has lots and lots and lots and lots of dialogue. That somehow never gets tedious because all the characters are very amusing. (laughs) And the art style and the music and just everything is in this huge, cute package. And I have a great time playing it. I played a bunch of Tomb Raider games this year. And I know Al Heron, the big Tomb Raider fan from Scotland, did not like the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot. But I played that at the beginning of the year, and I'm sorry to say that that is the game that was the most fun I had with Tomb Raider. Uh, It's just, the story is naff, doesn't make any sense, but it is a blast to play. The action scenes are very well constructed. 
And unlike the older Tomb Raider games, which take a very Indiana Jones treasure hunt approach to the character and storytelling, in this one, it's just Lara Croft trying to survive on this island through constant peril, and that just has a different vibe to it. And it's really fun watching her develop from someone who's just trying to hold on to this bloody angel of vengeance by the end of the game. So those were my picks, and now moving on to our catch-all-other category. Yeah, the only one that off the top of my head that I could really think of is I just a song I found this year that I've been listening to a lot and really liking, uh, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It's just a really good song with like a really interesting narrative to it. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't think of music, but you having said that... I have recently discovered the band Polyphia, which is going to make me like a lot of people who've recently discovered the band Polyphia. Um, yeah, they're great. Go listen. Uh, and then I put this in here. We're returning to Dungeons and Dragons because I started watching Critical Role in a big way <laughs> a while ago. Um, so, I mean, if you don't want to watch four to five hour sessions of just some people playing Dungeons and Dragons, maybe just watch The Legend of Vox Machina because you'll get the best parts of it anyway. And I think that was actually a very well done um, series. You watched that with me yeah, this I year. Yeah, uh, oh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, really, really good. Uh, it's probably good in general. It's even better, I would say, if you play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and... Um, the second season of that will be coming out next year, which is why I am finishing off the uh, Chroma Conclave arc right now, because I will want to finish that before I see season two. Um, it is a time commitment. I actually watch it. I think most people just have it playing while they do something else, but I enjoy watching what these voice actors do while they're doing this. So yeah, I spend a lot of time. Corey got very concerned. Yeah, she was watching a little <laughs> too much of it for it to be healthy. Yeah, there was there was a problem at one point, but I'm okay now. Yes, tur- turns out unhealthy amounts of critical role are an unhealthy coping mechanism for mm-hmm. things that have fortunately since been taken care of a little better. Yeah, so um, it's great. Uh, it was something I, I think I really got into in lockdowns when it's like I just wanted to feel like I was hanging out with friends and it, it's sort of like you're hanging out at a and d game. So that's probably what it was. But very funny. Um, obviously, good good acting, story and storytelling type stuff going on, and yeah, there's um, it has spawned a huge genre of people just, I think, streaming their D and D games. But I would imagine that Critical Role probably remains the like best acted one <laughs> out there, given that there's a bunch of professionals playing it. So yeah. So speaking of coping mechanisms. <laughs> That's a great sentence to lead with. I I've be I am a heavy podcast listener. Mm. Uh, I picked up three new ones that I've been listening to a lot of episodes of this year. Number one, you're wrong about yes with Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. It just takes hey, here's this thing that you remember that has a common cultural perception, and actually everything you know about it is wrong. Uh, she was hosting with Michael Hobbs for a long time. He left to focus on a different podcast, and now she brings on a rotating cast of guests. Still an excellent podcast. I think some of her best episodes have been in the last few months. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good time. Mm-hmm. I've also been listening to the Triple Click podcast, which is a video game podcast 
with three video game journalists and that's that's one that's just maybe i don't really care about what they're talking about they're just fun to listen to and finally tech won't save us yes which is maybe not comforting at all but has very interesting topics is a canadian podcast and it's just about how tech billionaires are going to destroy everything and the stuff we're doing on the internet is awful i also discovered tech won't save us i like how we found that independently and in a cute canadian moment i discovered it by listening to cbc radio and hearing the podcast host being interviewed which is yeah that's i'm like wow old media new media intersecting um since uh, i didn't consider podcasts but also i listen to michael hobbs quite a lot and i am enjoying maintenance phase another podcast that he has started i have also listened to if books could kill which i do think is quite good too but probably maintenance phase and his work on you wrong about has been more entertaining i would say so far um yeah that brings us to dishonorable mentions Ooh. which is another catch-all category it just means you don't necessarily have to have liked it or you just want to tell some kind of joke okay so i'm gonna lead with a controversial one the running man classic 80s schwarzenegger movie it was fun. Don't get me wrong. It was a lot of fun to watch, but I think it's the kind of movie that d that does dip into so bad it's good territory. It's just so ridiculously cheesy that it kind of ends up being entertaining as a result. Um, then the other one, which was just overtly bad, was Bullet to the Head with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I picked that. It was awful. Yeah. It is just, it is 100% just a Gary Stu moment. It is just Stallone trying to relive his glory days because his character is always the smartest guy in the room, despite being an uneducated street thug. And just, he always knows best. He is always right. And then events always end up vindicating him. And it's just like, it's competently shot and competently acted. And it does feature an axe fight between Sylvester Stallone's character and another character played by Jason Momoa. Should have just watched that clip. On that, I mean, that, 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 that would be Marie it. telling me about that clip was what got me to watch it as well. Like, so it's competently made. It's just the script and the dial, the script and the characterization is just so bad that it ends up being a terrible movie. Mm -hmm. And like, not so bad. It's good. Just so bad. It's bad. That's kind of everything in me in Dishonorable Mentions. Like, there's mm -hmm. a couple books that I wasn't able to finish for various reasons, but that wasn't because they were bad books. That was just me not being in the headspace to get through them. Mm-hmm. I have two. Uh, I mean, I also have Bullet to the Head. And I was going to include The Chaos by Nalo Hopkinson on here because I just didn't actually... Like, I read it, and it was very Nalo Hopkinson. Uh, but I'm like, you know what? It's probably actually just fine and I just wasn't in the right space for it. And she also, I believe, wrote that while she was herself, um, I think, unhoused and going through quite a lot of difficulties. So I'm like, you know what? She gets a pass on that one. But probably not her strongest work. There's a book I read called The Midnight Library, which was... I don't think it's up there. I think I put it in the take a book, leave a book mm. thing down the street because I wasn't going to read it again. Um, so... It was, like, fine. Basically, the premise of it is there's a lady, she goes to kill herself, she ends up in this place called the Midnight Library, which is basically she can read different versions of life, of lives, where she makes different choices to see how it all turns out. It All things lead to bad stuff in some way, and she still ends up either killing herself or something happens, and ultimately she comes to the conclusion that, oh, she should actually just live her life that she's on because she made the right choices. 
it it's not terrible, but I don't like the uh, reading of suicide because as a psychiatrist, I think suicides are quite complicated phenomenon and it's not just oh if you reflect on your life you'll realize that it's like not like something you should do but um so I didn't like the kind of like triteness of that treatment that sort of underlay that and it's uh, otherwise like it was cute there's lots of like decent reflections in it I was just disappointed and I have not finished this other book I will at some point and it's mainly because I only read short story collections when I'm traveling but the Ted Chiang collection, these story of your life and no. other stories. <sighs> I mean, the story of your life is actually, I think, probably the strongest story in there. That's the last one I read. There's still a few it's left. It's the story me. that the movie Arrival's based yeah. on. Yeah. So, and Arrival is great. Obviously, I think Arrival is better. <laughs> the story of your life is not bad. I I noticed Ted Chiang writes narcissistic assholes really well. <laughs> um. May, I don't know him personally, but maybe there's a reason. And um, I just, it's just this view of what the mind is as like a computer and just that if only you program well enough and like find the sort of solutions, you'll solve things. I don't think life is like that. I don't think minds are like that. So I'm very annoyed. And also there's a, an anecdotal relationship to this book of a particular store where a lady can only recommend that book whenever you ask for a science fiction recommendation. You get this book shoved at you, and then we'll rant on about the Canadian publishing in, uh, well, landscape, so which I agree with there, but man, have other books to recommend, lady. For context. And I'm not going to say where it is. We are not saying where it is. For context, I asked <laughs> for a short story recommendation at the same store twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two different clerks both recommended the same book, which I've already read and don't think is that great. It's... It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's not that friggin' amazing. I have nothing, no other opinion to add to that because I've also read this short story collection and I also think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Go read the Siberiad. That's way better. I did not read or watch anything that was notably awful this year, at least nothing that I can remember. So for my dishonorable mention, I played the downloadable content for the video game Dishonored, which I finished quite a while ago, and is a stealth action game. The continuing story is The Knife of Dunwall and the Brigmore Witches. Actually, this was great. It's just, you can't really recommend it on its own because it's not long enough to really be a full video game experience. Uh, I just had a really good time, and I think the levels were just designed better than the original game. And the only reason this is in this category is because it has to do with Dishonored. (sighs) On that note... Well, surprise! (laughs) One more category! Um... These are not dishonorable mentions. I do want to throw them in because they're both kind of so bad they're good. Um, I've been watching, slowly making my way through Cells at Work on Netflix, which is just a hilarious premise. It's just a human body is a city and all the cells are workers performing their jobs. It's ridiculous. It's cheesy. But it's also kind of funny at the same time. And the other one is Record of Ragnarok, which is, again, so bad it's good. It's just ridiculous. Ridiculous and hilarious and just amusing because of that. 
Well, that brings us to the end of our list. It's media that we three specific people consumed in the year of 2022. Yes. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to that. <laughs> I mean, just overall, it was a pretty trying year for me. I spent a few months without running water. I left my job of six years and now have a new job that I've been in in a couple of months. Just a lot of stuff happened this year yeah um uh, yeah similarly you know i've been a psychiatrist for a little while now some of the things around that not specifically the psychiatry but everything else around that career move has been a disaster for a period of time um and Corey had to live with me through that as you say my my biggest Mm -hmm. source of stress was being the main source of support for someone going through burnout which Mm -hmm. is I mean, obviously it's not as bad as what Marie's going through, but it's not easy. Things are fine now. Yes. And that's why I can watch Critical Role on a healthy level. (laughs) On a similar note, I deleted my Twitter account. I deleted everything off of DeviantArt and deleted that account. I deleted everything off of Pinterest. And now I'm just looking for other things to delete and deactivate. (laughs) in my online life that does not include my blog one last sketch.wordpress.com where you can find previous episodes of this show hey and i still technically do have a domain name uh website shrinkandexpand.com which i still pay for um and who knows who knows what will happen there certainly not me (laughs) yeah and i still don't have an online presence But now that we're coming to the end of 2022, it's time for New Year's resolutions, and we do have one for this podcast, which is we are going to record a whopping four episodes next year. We can do this, guys. We expect y'all to hold us to that. Yep, yep. Put comments on this podcast if we're at the year like, oh, it's like past the first quarter. But yeah, I think each of us has selected a book for the others to read. We're going to all read those, talk about them, and then we'll do another year-end podcast, so that's four. So that's the projection. Well, we've all selected a piece of media. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be books. Mine's a book. Mine's a book, too. But I think Mike's is a book. Yeah, so we spent over a year not recording anything. Yeah. And we got to look back and went, actually, we have fun doing this. We don't get compensated for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just do it because we like it. But we have fun. So why not do it a little little bit more of a structured way? Yeah. Yeah. If that goes well, maybe we'll do like six in a year. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Maybe. (laughs) Sounds like a lot. But anyway. (laughs) Marie's hubris and ambition will be the end of us. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our wrap-up for 2022. It is minus 33 where I am right now. It was minus 40 early in the week. I am looking forward to the post-solstice day. Oh, yeah. Happy solstice. The lack of sunlight has been rough. Yes. I told you to get a seasonal affective disorder lamp. Uh, Anyway, yes, negative six here. I left work before the sun went down today, which I wouldn't have been able to do in Edmonton at this time of the year, so that's kind of nice. And yeah, happy solstice, Yule, Saturnalia, Kwanzaa, Christmas. Festivus. Things. Hanukkah's already happened, I think? I think we're in the midst of Hanukkah, actually. Oh, okay. Anyway, have a good end of 2022!
Happy Bye-bye. New Year. Bye. Bye. <laughs>